0: Good morning, Journey. So listen, today's a special day. We're celebrating Blue Sunday. And you're here to say every Sunday morning that our church exists to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. And this Sunday's special because we ask God to reveal to us today the people in our church who are far from God by allowing them to wear a team other than the Royals today. So I see you, Cubs fan, and I see you, Cardinals fan back there. And I want you to know we are praying for your soul today. (laughs) On Blue Sunday. Hey, we're in Mark chapter 15 today. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 15 for our Bible study time. Take your notes out of your bulletin or fire up your Journey Church International app. For those of you streaming with us online, we're glad you're with us this morning. We're in the fourth week of a series that we're calling Famous Last Words. We're listening to Jesus speak from the cross. We're trying to learn the soundtrack of Easter. In the six or seven hours that Jesus hung on the cross, he made seven statements that hold some unbelievable truth and some unbelievable life. And in the last three weeks, we've seen 25 people Make spiritual decisions to begin to follow Jesus by listening to what Jesus had to say from the cross. Last Sunday, we had nearly 100 people who signed up to engage in spiritual community at our church because they're listening to what Jesus says from the cross. And today, we're going to go even deeper in Mark chapter 15. Now, just a reminder about who Mark is. Mark was not a disciple of Jesus. But Mark was praying with Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane When Jesus was arrested, he cameos himself in the book by saying he was the guy who they nearly captured and arrested him. They grabbed his clothes, but he ran away and left his coat behind as he ran out of the garden. So he knew Jesus personally, and he became a traveling partner with Paul who started churches all over the Middle East in the first century. He was a close companion of the apostle Peter who was as close to Jesus as anyone and he decided to write for us what happened on this day at the cross. We pick up the narrative as they're walking to the cross in Mark chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 21 and we're going to go through verse 34 and here's what it says. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, circle the word Simon. We won't talk about him until the end of the message but we're going to come back to him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, The father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. That was kind of a painkiller for him. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified Jesus. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him. One was on his right, one was on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults at him. Verse 33, at noon... Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means in Aramaic, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, Martin Luther was a German priest who our great civil rights leader was named after, Martin Luther King Jr., in 1517 as a german priest martin luther became very kind of discontent with the way the church was doing things so he wrote a document called the 95 theses which was basically 95 complaints against the official roman church and the way the roman catholic church was doing business at the time most of his complaints were targeted at this thing in martin luther's day in the early 1500s if you were a catholic and you went to church to go to confession and have the priest forgive your sins you had to pay him say how much However much he said... They were called indulgences, where literally you had to pay off the people of God to connect you to God. Martin Luther says, this isn't right. And in the the time of a very corrupt Catholic church, and we have a lot of Catholics who go to our church and say, wait a minute, the Catholic church is corrupt. Well, if you're about 550 years old, there was a season in your life where the Catholic church was corrupt. Uh, They exiled Martin Luther from the Catholic church Uh, because the Pope held such sway in government, he actually became a fugitive from the government and he hold up in a castle in Wittenberg, Germany for two years, hiding from the church, hiding from the government, and it was there that he took his Latin Bible. Remember 500 years ago, Bibles were not written in language that anyone could read outside of the priest, so they really held a monopoly on what people could know about God, and he translated for the first time the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, in an understandable language, his German, which eventually the English Bible would come from in 1611. And when he studied that, he learned that basically, you came to Jesus on the basis of faith, through grace. You didn't have to pay anyone off. You didn't have to go to a specific church. You could have a relationship directly with Jesus. And he started when he came out of his castle from hiding what is known as the Protestant Reformation, where he basically told people, there's a different way to connect to God. After the Catholic Church found out what was going on, they had a great counter-reformation where all the corruption of the church was cleaned up, and they began to understand theology a different way, understanding that people could connect directly to God. in churches, Protestant and Catholic, were... were... We're really there to help them and guide them more than to do the connecting themselves. I say that to say nobody in the last thousand years has helped us understand the Bible more than Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, at one point in his life, went away to study this statement from Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, for a period of six months, because he couldn't understand it. And he said, after that six months in his journal, he wrote, I'm more confused about what it means now than I was before I went off. I don't know that anyone can really understand the depth of what was happening in Jesus was his relationship with God on the cross when he made this statement. I don't know that we'll ever understand the full depth if Martin Luther couldn't. But if we don't understand the basic truths of what is happening here, we really will never understand Christianity like we're supposed to. So today I'm going to try to teach at a very elementary level the two most basic elements of this passage. And here's how elementary I'm going to get. Like if I were teaching you about baseball, I would start with two things. This is a ball This is a glove, maybe a bat I might throw in, like really basic. This is a ball, this is a glove, this is a bat. That's where we're going to start. We're going to start really basic today in this text. We're going to talk about two things, separation and substitution. And then we're going to learn about one person, his name is Simon, who I hope helps you remember what you've learned today for the rest of your life. So three things today, separation, substitution, Simon. Here's what we're going to learn, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? This statement helps us understand three things. Number 1, it helps us understand Jesus' separation from God. It helps us understand a moment of Jesus' separation from God. Look at verse 34, the last verse of our text, one more time. It says at 3 in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which in Aramaic means my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Now, let me walk you up to this point if I can. We're about 15 hours into what we know is Good Friday. We call it Good Friday because it was good for us. It was not good for Jesus. At around midnight on Good Friday, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane after being betrayed by one of his friends who knew where he was and traveled with him often. His name was Judas. Judas. From midnight to 6 a.m., Jesus was taken across the Kidron Valley. It's just a short walk, and he was jailed at the home of Caiaphas, who was a high priest of Israel at the time. And between midnight and 6 a.m., Jesus stood trial before the Sanhedrin, which is the 70 members of the Jewish ruling council. Those were all illegal trials because the Jewish ruling council was not allowed to meet from sundown to sunup, but they did this night anyway at 6 a.m. when it was finally light out. They sent Jesus to Pilate because only Pilate had the ability to punish Jesus like they wanted him punished. Jesus stood trial before Pilate. Pilate said, you're Jewish. I don't want to deal with you. He sent him to Herod. Herod said, you know, I I can't really do what they want to do. They sent him back to Pilate all in this two-hour window. And sometime between 8 and 9 a.m., Jesus was sentenced to flogging and crucifixion by Pilate. And at 9 a.m., Mark tells us he was crucified. From noon until 3 p.m., darkness covered the entire land of Israel and Jesus was silent, and at 3 p.m. Jesus spoke. So we've now taken you from the Last Supper to this moment, and Jesus spoke these words in Mark 15, 34. At 3 in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, for serious students of the Bible, we immediately see something that stands out. I mean, for those of you who have studied carefully the life and the words of Jesus... This sounds weird, and it is. When Jesus says, my God, my God, do you know this is the first and only time that Jesus referred to God as anything other than Father that we have recorded? My God, my God. It's the only time in Jesus' 33 years of recorded spoken history that we have that Jesus called God anything other than Father. And the word Father that Jesus usually used was the word Abba. Not the disco band of the 70s, but Abba. It's a Hebrew word. That is an, ente- an endearing term best translated daddy or papa. I was taught when I was in youth group to pray using the phrase Abba Father. Abba to me was a spiritual term just like holiness, salvation, sanctification. It was, a, it was a spiritual word. Until a few years ago when I was walking down the streets of Jerusalem with a group that we were having. And I heard behind me a really small young voice yelling Abba, Abba, Abba. And I turned around, and there's this little three- or four-year-old, beautiful little curly-haired Jewish girl running down the street following her dad. And she wanted him to pick him up. So she was following him saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. And in that moment, I realized Abba is not a spiritual term. Abba is a relational term. So when God was talking, when Jesus was talking to God, it was very much the picture of a child talking to a trusted parent saying, hey, hey I, I need to get your attention. All except for this time. And for the first time, for the first time, Jesus felt our disconnect from God. What we feel like when we talk to God rather than his eternal connection to God as he faced the consequence of being punished for sin. I mean, I want you to think about this. After 15 hours of imprisonment, isolation, beatings, torture, crucifixion, it was only in this moment after three hours of darkness that he made this anguish statement. My God, my God, why did you do that? Well, what did God do? According to Romans 4.25, A Bible teacher by the name of Paul said on the cross during these three hours, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. He was being punished by God for sin during that time, which means for the first time in Jesus' life, he felt both the presence of sin and the absence of God. For the first time in his life Jesus felt the presence of sin and he felt the absence of God and it drove Jesus toward a feeling of spiritual abandonment and of spiritual agony and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting that we live the reverse. We live our entire life feeling an absence of God and the presence of sin until we meet Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it's reversed. We feel like sin has been wiped away and God has ma- been made real to us. But we are only able to switch those places because Jesus switched places with us on the cross. Jesus, whose birth was announced with a supernatural light that shined in the sky for more than two years, would have his death mourned with a supernatural darkness that signaled that he was separated from his eternal and his he- heavenly connection to God. You say, why? Why? Because of what the prophets wrote about in the Old Testament. Habakkuk said it this way about God's distance from sin. Habakkuk said of God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and you cannot look on wickedness. I've heard people say that this three hours of darkness was because God was so pained to see Jesus in this state that he had to turn away because he couldn't watch. But that is not what was happening. God turned his face away from Jesus, not because of the pain he was going through, but because of the sin he took on him. God said, me and that sin, we don't mix. And God turned his face away from Jesus because of the sin that he took on him, not the pain that he had on him. And God refused to gaze on sin. God had to look away from Jesus. And in that moment, it was like all of creation kind of mourned a relationship that had been broken. And during this three hours that none of us could truly comprehend, Jesus was separated, not just from heaven. He'd been separated from heaven for 33 years. But for the first time since he stepped out of heaven, he was separated from God. Because all of our sin and all of our faults were placed on him. Did you sin this week? I did. I had some sins of omission. You say, what's that? Things that I shouldn't have done. Things I should have done that I didn't get to. I had some sins of laziness this week. Say, how's God forgive that? He put it right on Jesus' shoulders on the cross. Did you sin this week? I did. I thought some things I shouldn't have thought, I probably had some attitudes I shouldn't have had. You say, how do you approach God with those thoughts and attitudes? I don't, God took them and in that moment he laid them on the shoulders of Jesus and punished him for what I did this week and he punished him for what I'll do next week and he punished him for what I'll do next year and he did the same thing for you and he turned away from God. He punished him during this three hour span and Jesus suffered a moment of separation So that we could one day be eternally connected to god. That's what was happening on the cross So let me stop and ask you this question. Are you eternally connected to god Like do you know that for sure? Is that an easy question for you to answer if I ask you right now Are you eternally connected to god? That is a yes no question And if you are you remember the moment that you made that connection or are you living in separation from god? Does your life always feel like spiritual darkness, spiritual cloudiness, not connected to God? Did you know that you can know for sure that you can be eternally connected to God because of what happened on that day on the cross with Jesus, that what happens on this day in this church with you can connect you to God forever? Did you know that? This statement reveals that to us, but it doesn't just reveal Jesus' separation from God. It also reveals, number two, Jesus' substitution for us. So this statement tells us a little bit about separation, but it tells us a little bit about substitution. And the Apostle Paul, again, the great Bible teacher of the first century, says that this fact, substitution, is the first one that we need to know. When teaching the church at Corinth, we said Corinth was the most American city of the first century What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Paul started a church here, taught these people a lot of basic things about Christianity, and here's what he told them. I receive what I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the first thing you need to understand if you're really going to connect to God, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. Now, this was not a surprise for religiously-minded people 2,000 years ago. Death for sin was not a new concept to Jewish people. I mean, we could look at the very first story in the Bible in the Garden of Eden, that God created this planet and he created the garden and he created Adam and Eve and he told Adam and Eve, all right, you can have everything that's here, but there's one tree that you can't eat of and if you eat of that tree, you'll die. And they ate of that tree and did they immediately die? Yes or no, for those of you who know the story. No. Did anything immediately die? Yes or no? Yeah. God had to kill two animals immediately to cover up the shame that adam and eve felt there was an instantaneous substitution of death in the very first story of the bible and then later all the jewish people would learn that through the jewish passover a generation of of israelites went down and lived and prospered in egypt and then for the next 430 years they would live in slavery and when God said it's time to get out of here, he, he brought some plagues against the nation of Egypt, but the last one was called the death of the firstborn. Every firstborn child and animal in the land would die. If you have a firstborn child, they would go. If you are a firstborn child, you would go. If your puppy was the first one of the litter, God rest his soul, Rudy would go. I mean, I mean that that's that's what would happen on this night with this plague. And here's what God told the Israelites. The only way you can stop this is to substitute something. I'm gonna allow you, if you want to, but you don't have to, to choose a lamb from your flock. And instead of you or your child or even your flocks dying, you can choose a lamb and you can sacrifice that lamb. And when you sacrifice that lamb, I want you to take some of that lamb's blood and I want you to paint the doorpost of your house and then go inside. And when the death angel comes over, he's gonna see that you have chosen a substitution for your child rather than yourself and he's gonna pass over. And when all the Israelites, we were able to see their kids saved because of substitution. God said, every year for the rest of the world, I want you to celebrate this holiday as Passover. We're getting ready to celebrate it again on this calendar. And on that day, you remember that God allowed you to substitute something for you. On this day, Jesus was a substitute on that day, Jesus said, you could choose a lamb in your place. I'm sure if the lamb could talk, the lamb would have said, hang on, hang on, hang on. Like, can't we do a squirrel? Like, you know, like the, the lamb had to be thinking, why us? Like, why, you know, why can't we go next down the food chain? But the lamb couldn't speak until this day. And on this day, the man that John the Baptist introduced to the world is the lamb of God, On this day, as Jesus was sacrificed on on the eve of Passover between 3 and 5 p.m., at the exact same time, the Israelites had been sacrificing the Passover lamb for more than a 1,000 years. As Jesus hung on the cross, the lamb spoke. And it said, my God, my God, why me? Why have you forsaken me? You see, substitution means that Jesus wasn't punished on the cross for us. Jesus was punished on the cross as us. This wasn't a nice thing he did spiritually. It was a total switch spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way again. The first century Bible teacher Paul says, God made him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus switched place with us. He didn't die for us. He died as us. And God allowed his blood to be painted on the doorway of our life. And God said, you can go inside and you'll be safe because of what happened to him. Which means God punished Jesus as us. But according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, God now sees and rewards Jesus in us. If we've made the decision to follow Jesus So Jesus was substituted not only as us But now Jesus spirit has been substituted in us It's as if we've been switched at birth At our spiritual birth We switch spirits Our spirit with Jesus spirit We switch We switch at spiritual birth So that we don't have to endure a physical death That leads to eternal death Isaiah, the prophet of the Old Testament, says it this way in Isaiah 53, 5, but he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Leave that verse on the screen for just a minute. For those of you who are streaming, you can look at the corner of your screen. I want you to look at two words, peace and punishment. Punishment's the right side of the third line. Peace is just a little left below that. Punishment or peace, which one do you want? Because you get to pick. Punishment or peace, which one do you want? Because you get to pick. He'll take your punishment if you want his peace. So I was raised about an hour from Cincinnati, Ohio. And when I was in elementary school, um, they said that the greatest baseball player in the history of all mankind was playing high school baseball at a high school in Cincinnati called Moeller High School. His name was Ken Griffey, Jr., and they were close to being right. And I remember as an elementary school kid reading about King Griffey Jr. who became the kid, a legendary Hall of Fame baseball player and the exploits of his high school career. His dad played for the Reds. The team would take the bus to the game. He would drive in his Corvette uh, and park himself. He would hit home runs that they said would travel across the Ohio River. I mean, he was a legendary status. And when his rookie baseball card came out, you had to have it. If you were like me, I collected baseball cards like the baseball cards when you went to the gas station that you could take a quarter and you could buy a package of baseball cards. They would have a substance in them that they called gum. I don't think it was, but you could chew it for a little bit if it didn't like rip open the top of your mouth in the process of making it soft. And I, I had and have thousands of baseball cards, but I did not have King Griffey Jr.'s rookie card. And I remember having a friend who did, who wasn't a big baseball fan, he just liked baseball cards a little bit, and I remember packaging up shoeboxes full of cards of players I didn't know and care about and wanting to trade him hundreds of cards for this one, because this one is the one I really want. And I remember him being dumb enough to trade it to me and me thinking, I've just hit the jackpot king griffey jr rookie card is now worth 81 cents i looked up online today so i mean it wasn't as valuable as i thought it might be long term it's not going to pay for me to retire but it was big then peace or punishment i mean that's the trade peace or punishment because of jesus substitution you get to change you you get to choose you see jesus crucifixion hurt him but it healed us if you choose to let him be your substitute And you know what? The story of Simon. Remember Simon? I told you to circle his name. The story of Simon shows us what can happen when we spend a moment with Jesus at the cross. Who is Simon? Look at verse 21 again. He's just a certain man. A certain man from Cyrene. Simon. The father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. That's all we hear about him for then. So what's Simon doing? Simon was celebrating Passover. You see, Alexander and Rufus, his two boys, I'm sure one of them was his firstborn, and he had been taught because of what God had done in Israel thousands of years ago that at least once in his life, every Jewish man should bring their firstborn son to the temple on Passover to just basically say to God, like, thank you. Thank you for accepting a substitute so that my boys can be with me. And this man, Simon from Cyrene, it's in modern day Libya, he was from Africa just happened to be passing by the point where Jesus was walking. If you ever go to Israel with me, I'll take you to the seventh station of the cross where they commemorate Simon picking up Jesus' cross and carrying it up a pretty steep embankment still to this day. And it says that Simon was handed the cross because Jesus couldn't carry it on his own. And he carried it to the place where Jesus would be crucified. And then he took it off his back and he gave it back to Jesus. Simon is the only human in history who physically removed a cross from his back and handed it to Jesus. But do you know every person who has ever followed Jesus has done this exact same thing? We have taken the cross of sin that we were born with And that our brokenness just builds and builds and builds. And at some point, like Simon, we hand it to a fragile, beaten, tortured, illegally imprisoned man. And we say, here. And you know what? Jesus has never said to anyone, no. I don't want it. Every time he has taken the cross, from Simon to those of you who may say yes to Jesus today, every time Jesus has said, I will take it. You know, the only person to actually hand off the cross to Jesus would be impacted in a significant way. Simon was from Cyrene in northern Africa. We read in Acts chapter 11 that when persecution broke out against the church, that a group of men from Cyrene left Jerusalem and they traveled to Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria, and they started a church to minister to people who were not Jewish people. In Acts chapter 13, we read that one of the leaders of that church is a man named Simon, and he's from Africa. And he was one of the ones who mentored and raised up a young Christian named Paul and prayed over him, laid his hands on him to send him to start churches all over the world. And Paul, at the end of his life in Romans 16, would say, make sure you say hello to my friend Rufus when you're in Rome doing church, because his mom became my spirit mom in Antioch. When you put all the pieces together, you're left with a story of a man who for a moment carried a cross for Jesus. He handed it over to him and then he became one of the world's first missionaries. His wife became Paul's spiritual mother according to Romans 16. And his son would help, help Paul plant churches all over the world. This black man who carried a cross from a Jewish man would be among the first people to want to go reach white men. All because of the cross. You see, when you look at the problems ailing our world, they all can be fixed at the cross. Poverty, racism, terrorism, the refugee crisis, everything changes when we take the cross off and we hand it to Jesus like Simon did because of a moment at the cross of Jesus' separation and substitution, we can have forgiveness and connection with God forever. My question today for you is what could happen in your life with your spiritual legacy if you could meet Jesus at the cross today? Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning?